Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Isaiah. This is Zed. And this is Kevin. Hey. What's going on? We like Kevin in. About... What's yeah, going on what's here? Funny, what's funny about this is that, um, just to give someone just quick backstory, is that we have already recorded this episode. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and Kevin, being a newbie that he is, obviously thought that we recorded him as well. But, uh, yeah, here we are doing a, a retry. You know, I think... The, the hey, 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 don't now, let yourself off the hook here. Yeah, right? yeah, don't let yourself off the hook here. <laughs> we had a, a few hitches in scheduling as well. Since Isaiah then, slept here we through are. the last time we were supposed to record this, so... This has That's been a comedy of errors. That's how I felt about the end of the season. I just wanted to sleep through it. Um what it would also i think originally our plan was to record in new orleans but you know that obviously didn't happen all of us saved a little bit of money um over the first weekend of april but here we are we're gonna recap uh a march madness a couple weeks later but uh basketball doesn't stop as they say so what is it ball don't lie ball doesn't stop i, I think it's a quite fortuitous actually that uh, we're going to do it this way because the championship is over we've seen everything play out and uh, I think it's influenced all of our perspectives a little bit hasn't it I don't want to relive this (laughs) so Zed uh, you want to do the honor and and talk about that first that I mean that second weekend of March Madness and what happened Uh, sure we beat St. Mary's pretty handily. Then we had the most open path to a Final Four in the history of the Final Four with um, our friends at St. Peter's opening or beating Kentucky and going through. Um, Beating Kentucky and then beating um, Murray State. Murray State and then Purdue. Yep, that's right. And then Purdue. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then we get to our, our great game against UNC where we controlled the game for most of it and then melt it down in the last two minutes because our guys were dead tired and Mick Cronin made some boneheaded mistakes with this rotation. That's that's what I remember from that game. I don't know what, about you guys, but that's everything else I've kind of... Um, buried and deep in my psyche because it's it's too painful to to try to recall Isaiah why don't you go first here because I know we have slightly differing opinions on this yeah it was interesting to me I mean that game I think you know Zed you speak to it the memory's fascinating because I'm, I'm I'm recalling I haven't rewatched it unlike me neither I refuse time. refuse but I remember watching that game, and uh, clearly we were aware. I mean, the scouting reports that even went up, you know, across other sites, we were aware what uh, North Carolina's strengths are. And this game was one thing where it kind of was a microcosm of the season in, in some sense, right? You had our wings playing at their best, well, most of the part. Uh, we didn't have a Juzang, you know, quintessential game, but he played solid for the most part. Um, and, you know, Hawkes comes back again. The talk of the week was, uh, looking back, was, you know, was Hawkes' ankle okay? That was the watch. Um, and then Riley was coming off a great game from St. Mary's. Uh, we were hoping he would get into form. I mean, uh, he didn't necessarily have the best game, and he was kind of the same Riley we, we mentioned. And, um, you know, Jules gave up. I mean, he gave a really... He was perfectly informed, and we didn't play our other guys. Obviously, the glaring is Watson and Jalen Clark. But as the game went on, you know, it was such a battle, and, and we controlled most of the game. But I would argue that, you know, UNC stayed in it for a reason, and that was through rebounding. And obviously having that guy who got hot at the end, um, which was Caleb Love at that time. Whether you know, But we can't also forget that Brady Manick hit a, a like a very key three that tied it up before Caleb Love uh, was able just to pour it on us. So I got to give props to UNC. I think, it, you know, for me, what gave me solace was the fact that UNC continued to play hot. They weren't a team that just went. Obviously, we were expecting them to beat St. Peter's, but they went and beat Duke um, in a very an emotional game and kind of a storybook way to in Coach K's career. And they went to the championship, and that's what Kevin is speaking of, you know, in terms of it's good that we record it now. So 
that's what I saw. I mean, I think the key moment where I realized like we could lose was when Hawkes missed that three. It was 61-60. And if he made that three, I think we're, you know, we obviously spend our money and we drink hand grenades and and beignet and have beignets in New Orleans. Um and and that fact, but I I think to your point, Zed, you mentioned that earlier, our guys' legs got tired. Uh, mixed rotations were funky, um, as they were, you know, on the road. And he got tight again, and uh, it didn't put us in the best position to win. And there North was, Carolina took advantage of it. There was one play in particular that I feel like will will haunt us for a very long time. Um, I think it was with about a minute 20, a minute and a half minute 30 left. left. Yeah, minute 30 was when the shot went up, and then the rebound happens at a minute 30. The rebound happens at a minute 30, where Baycott basically got got an offensive rebound, and I've seen the like slow-mos and the um, freeze frames of this play way too many times, more than I care to admit. That ball literally was about a quarter inch away from being out of bounds. And that would have been our ball. But I think they got the offensive rebound with Baycott, and they hit a three after that. Um, and that was really the, the backbreaker um, of, of the, of our, for our team. It was just truly devastating. And, and, again, we were leading for like 85 90% of this game. And it was in that moment, I think that's when I kind of – was you like, know what's we're, crazy we're about that play? What's crazy about that play is, uh, you know, I think a lot of t- that game we watched it and we felt, you know, hey, our guys are not boxing out the way they should. We're not in positions to rebound. Carolina's always in position for the rebound. But that play, if you look at it, Jules actually has got his arms around Baycott. I think Jaime is close to the basket to where if the ball bounces normally, we're going to get it. But the ball doesn't bounce normally. It bounces this weird way it clanks off because the shot was so hard. And it goes all the way to the sideline, to the baseline. And Baycott just happens to be there to toss it back up, right back into Caleb Love's hands. There's uh, a little bit of bad luck there. That <laughs> truly, truly a little bit of bad luck doomed us in that minute. But but I can't I can't blame just that play. I think, you know, we've I agree. all sort of mentioned the rotations, but we haven't really talked about it. Yeah, you know, I... I I, when that game finished and we recorded the first time, I think that was right before the Final Four. And, you know, obviously Carolina had a walkover against St. Peter's, which, you know, it's very plausible to believe we would have had the same thing. So at that moment, I felt like, you know, we we, we lost the game. Uh, and then, obviously, Carolina went on. They beat Duke. They nearly beat Kansas. They came in with a hair of beating Kansas for the championship. They should have beaten Kansas. Yeah, and uh, I think what we've learned is that Carolina had a formula, uh, and that formula was through their rebounding where even if they shot a lesser percentage than their opponent, they would create more possessions and get enough second chance points to stay in the game, if not be ahead in the game, and eventually go on and win. Uh, And I think that's one thing looking back, you know, the rebounding difference. I thought that we had a bad rebounding game, but but no, that that continued on for for Carolina. And yet I'll still say the rest of it, uh, you know, Despite everything that happened, uh, I'll say that still we control the game better against Carolina than anyone else did against them. You know, mind you, throughout the tournament, uh, we were the only team that kind of led wire to wire the entire time, and again had many moments where we were up by four, or five, six points, and had a chance to pull away. Even against Kansas, Carolina was up the entire game. Against Duke, Carolina was up the entire second half. But in our, in our game, you know, we were leading most of the time, and I still believe, you know taking these this last two minutes out of the equation where, yes, we missed a couple shots, Carolina made some shots, they got some rebounds. You know, those moments when we were up and we just needed a couple stops, a couple rebounds, a couple baskets to really build some distance, uh, I still believe that's where we lost the game, where with the right rotations, where, you know, if we play Peyton Watson more than three minutes, if we play Jalen Clark more than five minutes, if there isn't a plus 13 differential in minutes for Cody Riley versus Miles Johnson, uh, I still think we come out of that game and we win. Uh, and and going back to what Isaiah said, it, it it was kind of a microcosm of the season where, you know, really the entire year, if we were ever going to lose to a team that was not as good as us, uh, it was going to be exactly in this way. And again, the first time we recorded, I. 
I thought I kind of said that and well, there wasn't necessarily maybe a pattern to back it up. So this morning, actually, I went, I went and looked at this. I, I went and looked at this this morning. Uh, and, you know, the, this, a season ago, uh, we were 13-5 and five in what I'll call close games. And that means it's either five points or less or the game was within three or four in the last two minutes. We were 13-5, and five, including the tournament. This season, we were four and seven. And you know the, the first one we got away with against Villanova, right? Uh, we played all, all our, our starters, our key guys that came back down the stretch, and we won. And you know earlier in the year against Utah and Colorado on the road, we also got away with it there. Those were both very tight games, and we won them and got away with them. Uh, but then there were also examples like Oregon, Arizona State, USC, where you know very similar to the Carolina game, you had one player going off. You had Marion Jackson for Arizona State. You had Drew Peterson for USC. You had Jacob Young for Oregon, where they were just insanely hot. And we had defensive matchups that we could have thrown at them that we didn't do. We didn't play our depth. And one player going off, we're getting tired at the end, and we lost. Uh, and I might even throw in the the last two times we played Arizona uh, into that mix too. You know, especially when we played in Tucson where we were within three points and Cody Riley uh, plays the rest of the end of the game and we end up losing the game. Uh, and in the tournament, again, we got away with that against Akron, but ultimately against USC, UNC, uh, you know, we played that same pattern and couldn't put the game away and we lost. And again, you know, the biggest thing that stood out to me at the end of the game was, you know, I don't know if Mick really felt that he did anything wrong with that. He just felt that, you know, I have my guys back that went to the Final Four. They've won these close games before, and they're going to do it again. And, uh, you know, ultimately in this one, uh, it came back to bite us. And, you know, I, I hope Mick, Mick learns from this because it wasn't just the UNC game. This, this happened many times over the course of the year where we didn't play our depth uh, and didn't overwhelm the team with the number of players we could throw at them. And in the end, we lost the game. Yeah, there's. Well, I, I, I think you point to something um, in terms of uh, Mick's uh, kind of his conundrum or what he was dealing with, his dilemma. And that being that uh, he really honed in on thinking that Clark and Johnson were purely defensive impactors. And, uh, I, you know, I, I get that from how he spoke about his press conference after. I don't remember exactly when, but it was after I think one of our Pac-12 wins, uh, tourney wins, you know, and he was speaking about you know the rotations that he has, and I I just really think that he is all in on offense, and he believes that his guys, because of the system he coaches with deflections and just effort, that that will make up for the natural knack that guys like Clark and Watson, you know, we know they could have impacted this game. We know Clark on Love would have maybe changed the result of this, and. And Love doesn't hit key shots that are just insane uh, behind the arc, you know, three and two threes in a row. So, you know, it, it is, you know, it was puzzling to us because we've seen Clark also have offensive spurts. Granted, you know, guys started scouting for him, but he clearly shows that he's, he has a touch around the rim and he can make a set three on the corner and he's able to drive uh, better than most of our guys outside of Jules and Tiger. So, I mean, you said it to that point and... And I also do think, you know, what we, we'll go into offseason in a minute is that one good thing about recording now and something that I observed was from the Westwood episode series, uh, series that we had throughout the season was there was an interview with Mick, you know, at the conclusion of the tournament. And he talked about like questions that he had. And one of them that stood out was he was like, did I make the right rotations? Did I lean too much on certain guys? And I think that does point to a, a point of, of reflection and and how he's going to be looking at this going forward. There's two things I think that uh, Kevin pointed out that are I think are important. I, um, I think we talked about this in an episode or two ago, uh, Isaiah and I did, but I, I do think UNC was very underrated. So to lose to them, even if they were a, low, a higher seed than us, I, I don't feel terrible about that. Um, I think they were under underseeded, underrated. They're a much better team than I think anybody in the country gave them credit for. They won 20-plus games in a pretty tough conference, and for whatever reason, they were kind of brushed under the rug. I don't know why, um, but I think they were much better than than anybody gave them credit for, partially, I think, because they had such a short rotation. 
Um, but you know, they have a lot. They had a lot of talent clearly, and they have they had good players and, and a good system. So let's just get that out of the way. I think they were they're they're a good team. Obviously, um, in retrospect, it's easy to say that, but I think we've been saying that kind of since the the beginning of the tournament um, when we saw that you know these paths could collide. I think and you can make you can make an argument. I'm just going to jump in that we would have been playing UNC in, on on another side of the bracket uh, if you know if that was our draw. That's the thing about being an even seed. We're the highest four seed, but they're the highest eight seed to make it. So we're playing high even numbers when it comes to the that's seed. fair. That's a good point. Um, the other thing I want to say is, I and to both of your guys' points, it is weird that you know. For a guy like Mick Cronin, who has built his career on playing tough defense, to not go to that in the final minutes of very important games. Um, and to, to a bit of a counterpoint to some of your guys' uh, evidence around him playing his offensive starters, which I do agree with, he has shown the propensity to do the opposite as well. Um, the, the time that really sticks out to me... Um, was the Stanford game on the road, and he put Clark in there um, against their freshman, whose name is completely escaping me. Um, Harrison Ingram? The guy. Yep, Harrison Ingram. Harrison Ingram was absolutely torching us for parts of that game, and he put Clark in towards the end of the that game, and he absolutely shut him down. Like The guy just stuck to him like glue and played incredible defense on, on Ingram. And so I, it's, it's, it is strange that he has done that in certain games, but then in, in a wide swath of them, as you guys both pointed out, he went back to those offensive guys and, you know, lost a lot of those games. So it is, it is weird that he has not, you know, he's seen the results of going to those those guys when he needs those stops. And it's interesting that he didn't go to them again here. Um, and it's it's fl- frankly frustrating because we've seen him do it and it's worked. Um, so I, I got to think that I would hope at least that this is a learning moment for him to go back and be like, okay, this is clearly something that I need to work on um, in terms of rotations, like where... When I need a stop, I need to figure out who to put in. And when I need offense, I need to figure out who to put in. But that balance is, is obviously incredibly difficult, and hopefully this is a learning moment for him to, to build upon. Um, we'll see. Um, I, I do think that that decisioning is going to be very, very important for McCronin's tenure here to get over that hump. I, I'm not worried about Cronin not having us in contention every year, but to get over that hump, he is going to need to figure that out. And that remains to be seen. Yeah, I think if there was one thing that I'd have, you know, Mick ended up, I mean, who, who are we? But this, if there's a couple things that I'd have Mick look at, you know, to just make small adjustments. I don't think there's huge milestone adjustments you need to make here. Um, you know, late in games, give some players some freedom on offense to be confident and go and get their shots. Um, you know, w- watching a team like Duke, for example, in the tournament, uh, the whole season they were kind of up and down, but in the tournament late in games, it's clear those players got confidence and they, they, they feel like, you know, their matchups, they're going to win them, and then they go and they get their shots uh, at the end of those games. Uh, I'd like to see us see if we can build a little bit of that freedom towards the end so that we can put teams away. And then again, playing the depth. Uh, you know, I, I get that in the last couple minutes here and there, you're probably going to play your starters. But play your depth throughout the game and let them overwhelm the other team so that you're not in these kind of positions, you know, late in the game. And and with that said, you know, you have to keep that same culture of playing hard, not turning the ball over, and having defense being the fundamentals of the team. So, you know, Mick, this is why you make $4 million. This is why you got that big extension. You know, how do you keep that frame in mind of playing hard, turn, not turning the ball over, playing hard defense, but then getting just a little bit of more freedom, playing, giving guys a little bit more of a leash so that, you know, you can use the full potential of your roster. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point there that it, it, playing the starters in the final minutes of a game is perfectly acceptable, 
but you need to be able to, to your point, play the depth throughout the game. So those guys are fresh in that final couple minutes of the game. Um, and we didn't do that in, against UNC. We played Kaiman for a random minute. Like I, the, the rotations made zero sense. I, I'm not going to beat a, a dead horse here, but um, yeah, it, it, it's about keeping those starters, if we choose to play them down the stretch, fresh for that last couple of minutes to make sure we're actually able to, to compete and play hard. Because if and, and I, I don't think those guys out there weren't playing hard or competing. They were literally just gassed. Like I, and that's, I, I, won't, I won't put that loss on the players. I think they were actually still trying to play as hard as they possibly could, but their legs just gave out. Yeah, and again, this is where, you know, this doesn't need to be really lopsided changes this is going to be you know ben howland moving from you know defense to recruiting a bunch of five-star guys this pathway yeah was really unique and it may not exactly you know come back exactly the way it is but you keep doing this over and over you hope you get this kind of a pathway again you know kansas did it over and over and finally this year they got a one seed and i think got a pretty favorable draw they're the best team in the country i still think but they got a pretty favorable draw and they got all the way and you know, eventually, you keep doing this, and you know, you won't you won't see Florida and Joakim Noah and Al Horford in the Final Four. You won't see Derrick Rose in Memphis, and you won't see Gonzaga with Jalen Suggs hitting that miracle shot at the end. You keep doing this with that those same fundamentals, and make those small adjustments. Keep coming back year after year, and you know, hopefully, you know, you can get over the hump here, and that's that's what we hope Nick does. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to move into kind of the, the off season. Um, obviously last season is last season. Um, but we have, we have some, some updates going into now the off season. Um, you know, Kaiman transferred, Peyton Watson has declared, um, we're, we're expecting some other roster turnover, like how how are we how are we feeling about this? I and mean, we have a loaded class coming in. Um, I would say you know, let's talk about going into the off season. Our expectations were that um, we're expecting Riley, Jules, and those two to leave for sure, and then obviously, Juzang. Um, right behind them, but I wouldn't say as 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 clear and then I mean Kaiman as well, he's probably in the same group as Juzang and then we're expecting Hawkes to return and then Singleton as as a toss up and then Watson was kind of the wild card. We didn't really know where he's going. Um <clears throat> but since then, you know, obviously Kaiman has since he has uh transferred, he's heading to Wyoming, a, a really good Mountain West school that made the play in. Um, so we're rooting hard for him. Can I'm we glad, talk I mean, about how Wyoming has just raided the LA schools? <laughs> Seriously, it's like they just sent some guy, some assistant coach. Like, all right, I think it, there's a trainer that has that went to Wyoming that's worked with Kaiman, if I remember correctly. So they had it's a prior so random. It is, you know, and because well, there's a couple of, of USC guys that went over there too. Yeah, they took two. I think one was a former uh, four or five star, if I remember correctly. Wyoming's uh, going to be yeah. lit next year. They are stacked. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all the three L.A. guys are going to go over, and Kaiman, obviously, we hope he lights it up and, and gets his his shooting form back, uh, at least from the three. You know, and he, he continues to workshop his, his nasty step back we saw a preview of. And then... You know, Watson came as a surprise, so he declared for an NBA uh, draft, but he also foregoed his eligibility, um, which was surprising, I think, to most of us. Uh, not necessarily him entering the draft, but the eligibility. You know, for us, Watson was a, I think he was a top eight pick. He was definitely a lottery pick going into the season, and, you know, there was rumblings, obviously, that amongst the you know recruiting circles that Cronin was getting a little bit of heat because you know Watson wasn't getting the minutes on a senior Latin team but we all know you know it, this is about team and I'm actually glad Cronin stuck to that minus you know obviously our glaring critiques of when he should have played Watson but 
to that, you know, Watson's gone, and, and that's a lot of length. Um, you know, we don't know. It's, it's interesting. We can critique and, and sit here and, and say he didn't have the right choice, but we don't know everybody else's move, so he might have information on what the other players are doing before he decided to do this. It might be the first domino to fall publicly, but, you know, it, it, it's to be seen. And I think the expectations here are that we are going to hear someone a key player is going to be uh, returning pretty soon, uh, maybe even before this recording comes out. And our speculation, I think, is a consensus amongst, uh, amongst us three is going to be Haquez, uh, who is very vital and probably the biggest piece. But it's something to watch. You know, Miles Johnson also is weighing uh, uh, reportedly an opportunity that um, is also a great opportunity that's outside of basketball. So our players have some decisions to make, and I... You know, looking at the season, it it is important to see who is returning and whatnot. But I am excited for the athleticism um, and the youth that's going to be coming in uh, with our recruits. Let me ask you guys. Let me ask you guys this: Out of all the decisions for our returning potential returners uh, that are making um, the decision around coming back or not. Which guys do you would you want back, and which guys would you be okay with leaving? Yeah, I don't know if I'd be okay uh, with 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 uh, yeah. I, we love these guys, right? Uh, I mean, the, the, these are the the players that that brought UCLA back to the national stage, and will always have a very special place in our hearts for for all of them. Um, but but with that said, uh, I think you know. Jules, uh, Johnny, Cody Riley, and Miles Johnson. So those are the ones up in the air. I think Isaiah alluded to and, you know, and Jaime and Jaime. Yes. Yeah, so so yes. Not officially. They're still play. still still Jaime is out there. Uh, I think again. You know, broad speculation is Jaime is going to be back and announced at any moment now. Uh, you know, Miles Miles Johnson. I, I think uh, ideally we have him back because you know I, I think. Adem Bona have full confidence in his ability. I think, you know, Mac, you know, with a year, he's been away for a year with his ACL injury. Uh, in mixed system, I think it would really help if, you know, you have some experience that has played uh, to play with Adem Bona. Uh, and therefore, I hope that Miles comes back. But I think if he leaves, we could probably figure it out. You know, Bona is probably the type of big that Mick has been waiting for to play uh, anyways. And then... Uh, to be fair, Mac has also played in his system, so it's not like he's a completely no exactly unknown entity. And he played well in his spot minutes and for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mac. Mac a I mean, he's he's a, he's a skinny basically. guy. He's, Mac's a skinny guy, but he's he is athletic and he's tall and he can definitely play play over there. So I think we'll be okay there. Jules and Johnny, I think, is interesting because having both of them back creates a bit of a logjam. Uh, and the type of logjam that kind of got us into the problem we had this year, I mean, you, we're not going to see a, a team with five starters from a Final Four come back again. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of what got us into that logjam of playing all those guys at the end. Uh, I think if we got one of them back, I think it'd be great uh, because, you know, shooting, I think, is the glaring weakness of the roster next year, if you look at it, uh, where, you know, you're going to lose Jules and Johnny, who are our highest volume three-point shooters and were very capable three-point shooters. Uh, so getting one of them back, I think, would really help there. Uh, and then Cody Riley, I think we expect him to move on. Uh, you know, done great things for us. He's gone through a great journey uh, here at UCLA. Uh, but I think we're, we're suited to handle that departure. So you know, I think ideally I'd like to see Miles come back. Uh, you know, but if we don't, I think we'll survive. I'd like to see one of Jules or Johnny come back, but I have a feeling both of them are not coming back. Uh, and in that case, then we gotta we gotta work on some shooting this off season. People gotta go to the Tiger Campbell School of Shooting, where you know he went from twenty seven percent to forty one this year. Uh, and if we can do that, you know, we're, we're definitely gonna be more athletic. Peyton is tough because you know I think with Peyton we would have really got some length next year and. And that's something I wanted to go into the next season. I think length has troubled us in the games that we've lost. Uh, but we should still be much more athletic. We should still have a much more up-and-down style, given the players that we'll have. Uh, and I get why Peyton left. You know, um, yes, early in the year, I think Mick was justified doing what he did. Uh, 
because uh, Peyton was really raw. But I think towards the end of the year, you know, he could have found more minutes for him. Even with all that, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that he comes back and he skyrockets into the first round next year. Uh, and, you know, he definitely has the kind of body and the frame to where he's going to get drafted and teams are going to give him a chance. And there's a chance he can get that second contract and from there make a good career. So, you know, I get it, uh, but it does suck because, you know, that's the length that we're not going to have next year yet again. Yeah, I I largely agree with what you said. I I 100% want Jaime back. Like, he's the heart and soul of that team and carried us down the stretch for the, like, last five to ten games. Um, and I, I do expect him back, so getting him back is, is key. Also, one of Jules and um, Juzang would be nice for the same reasons. Um, I also hope, and I, we didn't mention this earlier, I hope um, David Singleton comes back. I, I think he's played, he, he gets brushed under the rug a little bit, but he is that pure three-point threat, and he showed some some decent mid-range. So I think if he keeps developing, he can really become a, a very good bench player. And he has been a very good bench player coming coming in um, as like a sixth, seventh man. Um, so I do hope he comes back. I am... Um, this is not to denigrate or put Cody Riley down. I respect Cody. I have enjoyed his whole redemption arc um, and really appreciate what he's done. I think he's a he's been a great representative of, of UCLA after his incident. Really has matured, and I'm, I'm proud of him um, to kind of go through that journey and to see where he's at. That being said, I'm, I'm, I think it's it would be beneficial for him to move on for the team. Um, and to go go play or graduate or do whatever he wants to do in the in the future, um, but I think it's it's time for him to, to move on for the benefit of the, the team largely. And and I wish him the best going forward in whatever he wants to do. But I think that would be it would be good for everybody involved. And I think um, we need Miles back for everything you said, uh, Kevin. But it would be great to have again an experienced guy. Um, who's big and strong and, and really showed defensive prowess last season. Um, and we wish, I wish we had seen more of him on the court, but obviously we didn't, but we'll see what, what happens with him. Um, but I do, I do hope that he does come back with that year of, of Cronin system under his belt. I do expect him to be very good next year. And hopefully we see a little bit more offensive polish from him. Um, but that's 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 kind of hope. That's hopeful. I don't know if that will happen, but I do think that that's kind of my, my that's my wish list, I guess. <laughs> Whichever way we go I, here, I, I I think you both covered it for me. Um, there's not many points that I need to labor, but I am. I'll just say this: I'm excited for the future of this team, um, and I'm a very appreciative. I will reiterate what's been said. The foundation these guys have laid and I think you know it's it's ironic I don't want to say ironic but if you look through this in a different lens like Mick Cronin made it to the Sweet 16 with probably my favorite Sweet 16 team that we had and a lot of that helps that the same guys had gone to the final four a year before but it's just so many characters and these guys get along so well and they're so close-knit um, so much respect the they represented the university uh, on and off the court and became fan favorites. Uh, I, I really, I'm not upset with this, how the season went. I feel like it was a luck of a draw, the luck of, you know, and they played their hearts out and against UNC and obviously there's some snafus uh, that were attributed to coaching. But these guys played a hell of a, a hell of a season with everything considered um, from Villanova to uh, beating Marquette and that near scare to the COVID pause to playing, you know, six games within 12 days. Uh, and all the injuries. Yeah, and then also coming back against USC and not losing, actually winning, you know, going 2-1 and one for the year, which was uh, pretty great. And I remember Hawkeye said that was his favorite moment of the year. But also we had, like, Stong hitting a three and Jules and those guys jumping up on him. Um and so there was a lot of great moments this season. Unfortunately, it didn't come with a ring or at least a Final Four appearance. 
But uh, yeah, this is by far my favorite, probably Sweet Sixteen team that we've had, um, and it's ironic because, you know, if this was Steve Alford making the Sweet Sixteen, who didn't obviously make the Final Four, we'll sit here groaning about the future of the team. But uh, so, but isn't I, I say it, that, that isn't that the point though? The outcome is, yeah, yeah, we're the outcome doesn't necessarily. Uh, dampen us it's just the expectations and you know the potential we know this team has but but that that's entirely the point though right I mean the the problem with the Steve Alford Sweet 16 teams was you know I think a couple things um, you know so one of them was a fluke but but otherwise you know the, the teams largely you know we weren't proud to be watching UCLA basketball throughout his tenure and every year that we went to the Sweet 16, it just felt like, well, we're, we're never really going to get over the hump here. Uh, this is never going to be a consistent national contender. And that was the problem with the Sweet 16 teams then. And that's really all we wanted. We wanted a team that we were proud to watch. <laughs> we wanted a team that, that represented UCLA well. And, and that's, I think, what we've gotten back to. I think we, we've gone over a lot of issues that Make had this year with, you know, the playing how he played the roster and maybe some mismanagement of in-game situations but we have a team that we're proud to watch again and, and that above all else like I'm happy that we're in this position where we are so disappointed that we got a top four seed and lost in the round of 16 because we know it should have been better and we expect it to be like that next year I mean next year is probably going to be our best roster uh, under Mick uh, I don't I don't think it'll be a question given the the incoming talent and like what could return uh, you know we're just happy that we we're mad that every time we lost a game this year we all came together and felt like the world was, was falling and that's how we want it to feel we want it to be like that so and then we want to come back next year and, and win close to 30 games again and and I'm happy that there's a path forward to that because that's really all we wanted when we hired Mick Cronin to to get to move forward yeah it's you're you're absolutely right I think there's um there's no doubt in my mind that we will just be competitive year in and year out. We're not going to win every year. Nobody wins every year, but we will at least be in that conversation. Um, and there's going to be up years and down years, and that's that's natural for for college basketball. But you know, I think the majority of the of um, of the years we will be competitive under McCronin, and that's that's a testament to him and his program building and his coaching. Um, and I think this, and for this upcoming season, I think a little roster attrition isn't a bad thing. I think, you know, he gets to bring in some guys that he's recruited himself. And, you know, keep in mind, most of the guys that he played with were not Mick Cronin recruits that he molded into this very highly effective team. And I think it'll be interesting to now see, like when he gets guys that he recruited, he, you know, these guys are coming in with his vision from start to finish what that will look like and obviously the athleticism will be important um you know getting a guy like Amari Bailey who's an other world type talent um starting next year will be really fun to watch I think having a guy that's um a, a true backup point guard now with Dylan Andrews coming in is going to be really really important um, and will make a, a bigger impact on the team than I think anybody is even talking about, just to have a real point guard backing up and, and spelling Tiger Campbell, and, and then adding that you know hyper-athleticism to the front court. I'm, I'm excited for. And we're also going to get guys like Will McClendon and Mac Etienne, we mentioned earlier, back, who, again... I think McClendon is a little bit um, forgotten right now. Obviously, he was injured, but coming when he was being recruited, he was a good three-point shooter, very good defender, and very athletic. And getting that infusion of tough defensive athleticism with little three-point shooting, I think it will be really important for this team. Um, so I, I think the future for next season is bright. Um, Obviously, after next season, we expect a lot of roster turnover, and I think that's going to be a key season where, you know, Mick Cronin is expected to bring in, like, up to, like, eight guys, um, whether as freshmen or as um, transfers. But, But, again, from everything that we've heard, transfers have been lining up for UCLA. We just haven't had the spots. So it'll be interesting to see, depending on who, who leaves next season, um, or even this season, 
what kind of transfers we can bring in if we need one. And then going forward, you know, getting that mix of high school recruits and transfers is going to be key. And I, I, I don't see any negative signs of McCronin, like, fumbling that. I think everything that you, you hear about on the recruiting trail has been largely positive um, for, for 2023. Um, we apparently stand in pretty good shape with uh, guys like Dusty Stromer. Uh, Ron Holland, who is a very highly touted recruit, has been gushing about us. And, you know, what's been clear to me, and I think this was a little underrated about Mick in the last few years, is like, how persistent he is on the recruiting trail. I don't ever remember hearing about this with um, Steve Alford, obviously, but even Ben Howland, you only heard horror stories about Howland on the recruiting trail. But but Cronin is like a dog when it comes to recruiting. Like, he's going hard after guys. And that's what you like to see. Yeah, I have to say, the one thing about Cronin's era is... in. It's sort of the antithesis of you know Chip Kelly and and I. I'm sorry to bring him up. Don't but, um, don't 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 say that name. Who who's that? <laughs> but he keeps us engaged because obviously he's now at the circuits and the summits and everything in in between, and you can kind of I mean it it just it resonates with the players and and it's fun for us to see what the future is or what kind of guys he's looking for. So I, I'm excited for this offseason just because not only decisions that for the returners and not only for the, the, the three guys that are coming in, but just to see what Cronin sees out there uh, for a very unique uh, class of 2023, which has dealt with a pandemic and a loss of reps um, that they're going to be making up. And, and the valuations are going to be even more crucial for this class than probably any class before. Yeah, I have long been looking forward to this recruiting cycle because, uh, you know, again, as Ed mentioned, we've had a pretty solid core of players uh, through that's going to go last through this next season. Uh, And then it's going to be a brand new set of players. And that season after this is going to be really important to make sure that we're still very solid, um, still a very good team. Because if we can do that, I think that's then the pathway that just launches off for for Mick from there. and so, I mean, for, for, for recruiting, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, specific guys that, that I want us to get because I, I don't watch them. Um, so I'll, I'll trust Mick on his evaluations. But overall, uh, you know, we do need to get a lot of people. So, you know, I, I, ideally, as a fan watching from the sidelines, I'd like to see if we could get the national recruitments, the, the big top 20 guys uh, out of the way by the summer. Uh, or if they're not finished and you have to continue recruiting them, you know, start to offer other prospects that you've evaluated now over the course of several months and start to move on those. Because, uh, you, know, you know, this season we went through that with Mark Mitchell where it looked like we led for most of the way up until, you know, the very last couple months there where then it started to get back and forth and then eventually we went to Duke. We could afford that this year because we had a pretty solid, solid roster coming back and we can afford to be a bit choosy, but we can't really be uh, very choosy for the next season. We need a lot of players. So I hope we can get the, the big national recruitments of the types of, you know, Ron Holland, Isaiah Collier and stuff out of the way uh, so that we can focus on the three to four year, you know, long-term players that we can get. I you know, hope we can get a, a four-year point guard that may or may not be possible because we've got Dylan Andrews on the roster. But, you know, definitely hope we can get some length on the team. You know, some of those 6'6 to 6'8, you know, athletic wings that might need some development that are going to be around for a while. So I think the types Chris that, Smith types. The Chris Smith types, yeah, exactly. Where I think we, the guys on our list right now that we're recruiting is that's the Dusty Stromers. Uh, Rayvon Griffith, I think, is announcing soon, but that's the kind of profile uh, of, of player. You know, Cody Williams, the, the profile of player that ideally we start to bring in. But you know, the good news is this: uh, it looks like there are a lot of prospects out there that would take a UCLA offer and commit to it, uh, but we haven't just offered them yet. Uh, and it looks like, especially the local talent, you know, Mick doesn't really like them enough yet to offer them. Uh, so it's a it, down year in the West, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, so, so the good news is that, you know, it's not for lack of interest. It's going to be really on, on Mick to evaluate uh, and, you know, get the class, you know, ready for, for signing day this fall. 
I think I love there's going to be some was like, bloomers I, there, he's too. Like, Kevin said that he wasn't going to get into uh, the recruiting like too much, and then he just named off literally, I think, the whole time. I don't know which one of them I want, man. I know we're recruiting him. That's all I know, but I don't know which one this I want. Is, I'm going to tell you this. Mark Mitchell will be a Bruin in like a year. Mark my words. Mark that, my that, words. I'm, I'm going to see. I'm going to track that. I mean, he hasn't signed yet, obviously, for technical reasons to Duke, but I still have a little hope that, you know. No, I think he's going to transfer. He's going to go there and be like, this sucks. Shire, Shire, however you say his name, is going to be a terrible coach. And that brotherhood shine is going to fall apart. You wait. Yeah. You wait. So, I mean, you know, not not to allude or digress to Duke, but this is, it's a, now that Coach K's time is up, it's it's gonna it's exciting to see if we can get uh, we can start to chip away at that market share of the brand that Duke is in college basketball. I'm excited for that. Obviously, there's gonna be leftovers, and we're seeing that with these next this this year's class and next year's class. But I'm really excited to see what Cronin can do, and if we can put together something that's viable. Other thing is when you mentioned Chris Smith, it made me think of uh, Agbaji, which I I can't pronounce his name. But Kansas uh, guy who, Kevin, you would know this better because you you know you're pretty tapped in or you watch the Big Twelve. Was he a senior or a junior this year? He was a senior. So he was a senior. He could have went to the draft. He entered his name and he came back. And uh, look at the hell of a year he had. You know, some games you know he 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 kind of went cold or whatnot. But I mean. This guy was raked out of the top 100, and clearly, you know, him coming to Blue Blood like Kansas just stuck in the program with Bill Self. That's something I want to see happen with Cronin over the years. Is like, obviously, you know, our foundation, our, our cores, you know, those those guys who, want, who aspire to be one and done, but we bring in guys like that, wings and uh, just length and athleticism that just develop within the program, and they can end up winning a championship, you know, by the third or fourth year. I hope to God uh, if, that if Jalen not their Clark is that story. Yeah, that would be amazing. So He hasn't gotten so that, to that level, but he's shown so many flashes. And I'm hoping next season with, you know, this roster turnover and, and those minute allocations go to him now, like he is fully unleashed and keeps developing. If he can hit a three-pointer consistently just all bets are off he can become an absolute monster we're just hoping that uh Jalen Clark's crypto just goes to the moon and you know and he's the biggest thing (laughs) I have a feeling his draft stock might go higher than his crypto but I hope both (laughs) go improve for him I love that kid he's he's the epitome of what we want is that hyper athletic guy who plays so hard and just competes and competes and competes sometimes to his own detriment. Like there were some games where he would just play so hard and not adjust to how games were being refed and just like get called for dumb fouls. But that's just, and I don't fault him for that, but because he just, you clearly see it. He wants it so bad and he's just playing out of his mind and just so locked in. Um, and you love to see it. I, I do. I, I'm rooting for him to be that Akbaji type of um, jump Sorry. next season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what we're doing. We're, that's our preview for next year. We don't even have to do one. It's the Jalen Clark. Clark show next year. <laughs> yeah. Jalen and that's Jaime right. will just, if, they, if Jaime does indeed come back, I will be very hyped for that. Yeah. Imagine that but if, if I came back, we would have two conference player of the year or national player of the year candidates right off the bat. You got Tiger and Jaime, and then you got a superstar like you know Amari coming in, who you know I'm, I'm I wonder are, are we getting Kevin Love and Lonzo Ball or are we getting something closer to Drew Holiday or is it something in between? Um, you know, and then we got superstar Jalen Clark. You know, that's man. When is it? When's it going to be November again? Well, sadly, we have football season in between, but we can ignore that for now still. Though, I know uh, spring practice is happening, but I haven't really been following besides our O-line sucks, but that's a different story for a different day. Don't worry, 10-2 and is coming, I I believe. (laughs) Um, Cool. So, I mean, are there any closing thoughts that you guys have on this season and and what's what's to come? 
I'll say, go ahead. No, go Kevin. I'll say, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, players for the season, this group, uh, you know, you, you took us to a final four, you got, had a very good season this year. Uh, and we're always going to hopefully, you know, remember you as the team that brought UCLA back to national con national conversation. And you know, Mick, you know, you got you got that four million dollars now. You got that six-year extension. You know, go figure out how we can do everything. Yeah, I was just going to say, Mick, figure out your goddamn rotations better. That's it. <laughs> Zed's version. Um, yeah, let's let's get some recruitments. Uh, Let's get some commitments over the summer, even if it's one or two. Hopefully, Dusty's the first one. And we have a guys. we have there's or, a phantom thread or phantom um, rumor flying around about Stromer. If Stromer commits soon, we have a second yeah. commitment coming with him. So if we can just keep this momentum. You know, I'm I'm big about uh, brand building in this in this case, and I think it matters to this this generation. So. Uh, I think Cronin also is savvy enough to know that, so I'm excited to see what's to come. And we need I'll, Mick I'll on tell. TikTok. I mean, I think his hopefully his daughter is uh, is getting him up and get an account up because I think she's teenage, high school age, so that'll be cool. Let's get Cronin, a barbarian. It'd be like Cronin the barbarian. That would be pretty cool. He just needs to do some TikTok dancing. Uh, he can learn from Kenny. <laughs> For real. And, I mean, I think Jules dances, too. He just looks like he does. I'm not sure he does. <laughs> I think he was in some of Kenny's TikToks, according to Westwood. Um, yeah. One of the episodes they were doing a dance-off. So I think that seems seems accurate. But I would, I would download TikTok if Mick Cronin was on it. I don't have it. I've never had any interest in it. But if Mick Cronin started his own TikTok account, I, w I would download it and sell my data to the Chinese for it. I'm just imagining like 45 and up uh, brewing fans, just like contingent, just signing up for TikTok just to follow Mick and maybe Kenny, <laughs> like two player. That would be hilarious. But here we are. We're rattling. We're chatting and. Um, we're you know now it's the off season so we shall see we're gonna keep an eye on decisions that are to happen and we will record once we have a better idea of, of how this team looks but I want again I want to thank you Kevin for joining us obviously uh, we've said it before in past episodes you're always welcome to come on and you've been kind of the the level-headed uh, balance between me and Zed of of hope and um, and also pure cynicism. And Zed, uh, <laughs> yeah with that so thanks again for joining let's keep it going let's keep it going yeah right, and um, with that we're are we are we gonna do a football episode soon do we do we need to we'll do one at the after the spring show after case, spring which would be so what next yeah. week two weeks two weeks from now oh god the horror yeah the horror with that we're signing off and go Bruins Go Bruins. Go Bruins.